Kata and welcome to the special episode of NZSA Live. The following content was recorded at our National Writers Forum in September 2018. We're releasing it during our 18 days of forum content to help New Zealand writers and authors through the national COVID-19 lockdown. Today's podcast features audio from the panel discussion, Adaptations, Books into TV and Other Mediums. The panel included Rhonda Kite, Martin Blanton, Charlotte Grimshaw, and was chaired by Samantha Blackley. Welcome to Adaptation, What Travels Across and What is Left Behind. I'm delighted to be joined for this session by our marvellous panellists, Martin Bainton, Rhonda Kite, Charlotte Grimshaw. They all have a vast and varied experience and I will make sure to leave plenty of time for questions because I know that there will be many things that you will want to ask. To um, introduce them in a little bit more detail, Rhonda Kite is an award-winning producer with more than 20 years' experience in the production industry, uh, founder of Kiwa Digital, developers of experiential digital books, including the interactive Harry McCleary's. Uh, Rhonda sees new technology as a way of helping to make worlds come alive in a way authors have always wished for, which I think is wonderful and exciting. Uh, this year, Rhonda was made an officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit for her services to media, technology, television and film. Uh, Martin started uh, as a writer and illustrator. He's written more than 30 children's books, including Jane and the Dragon. Uh, and since Jane and the Dragon was first published in 1986, uh, it has never been out of print. Martin has adapted his own work as well as other people's for the screen, which will give him a very useful perspective, I feel. Uh, he is co-owner and chief creative officer of Pukeko Pictures. Charlotte Grimshaw, a renowned novelist, columnist and reviewer. Two of Charlotte's novels are currently being made into a, TV se- into a series for TVNZ called The Bad Seed, a psychological thriller with a murder suspect who has to take on a powerful politician to clear his name. Charlotte um, has just seen the first episode this week, so she is right in the thick of the process of adaptation, uh, and perhaps over the course of the session we will find out whether she empathises more with uh, what Peel Travers said the first time she saw Mary Poppins, I cried when I saw it, I said, oh God, what have they done? Or Philip K. Dick who said, my life and creative work are justified and completed by Blade Runner. <laughs> Or somewhere in between. <laughs> so first up, uh, taking one of the questions from the pricey of the session, I thought we could talk a little bit about what travels across and what is left behind. Um, perhaps we could start, Rhonda, with you, because I know that uh, often there's a sense that things are lost in adapting for a new medium, but in a lot of the work that you are doing, you are actually adding. You are things that were not in the original text. You're adding movement, sound interactivity so yeah Kilda Um, the exciting possibility I see in the adaptation from print into digital is that it is uh, more accessible not only for those who are visually and hearing impaired um, but also for those who have you know literacy issues 
<coughs> i.e. low literacy issues or dyslexia, those sorts of things. So it's really quite exciting to be able to discover um, things like font design, you know, that is more friendly with, uh, for dyslexics, etc. Um, also, there's so many other, I mean, I'm not an educator, um, but I am a, a storyteller and a producer and a creator of, um, of content. And um, so I kind of close my eyes and even shut my hearing off sometimes and just imagine what it would be like to be able to read a book just with my senses. And that's what I turn on um, when I take a piece of print into the digital form. Uh, Martin, clearly, um, you have adapted your own work and other people's. What are you most struck about? What carries through and what is left behind in the process of adaptation? It, it does vary, obviously, what's adapting into what, you know. Um, I, I think at the heart of it all, it's all storytelling, whether it's sitting around a campfire in an oral story setting under the stars or whether it's a screen experience. It's the quality of the storytelling and the ability to, of the individuals or the teams who are producing that experience to allow you to be completely immersed in it. I, I think that's it. And so I'm kind of agnostic about it, which is interesting because I got into television and was, in a sense, um, given a very hard time for it by my, by my readers um, of my book work and that, as if I was a um, gamekeeper turned poacher by coming into TV. But I'll, I'd like to talk more about that uh, later on. And Charlotte, um, we were talking earlier, um, I did read a quote this week from John le Carre who said, having your uh, book turned into a movie is like seeing your oxen turned into bullion cubes. And you have had two novels uh, reduced to, to use some kind of a cooking metaphor, <laughs> boiled down into uh, a five-part TV series. So clearly some things have been left behind. Yes, yeah, an, an enormous amount's been left behind. Just, just quickly to go back, I just wanted to say that I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of adapting. You know, I mean, I write fiction; that's my main thing. Um, but I, I have just to give one example. I have, I have three kids, and one, two of them are great readers, and then, and the third child, um, for some reason, he's not dyslexic, but his ability to read on the page is far less developed than his ability to hear. So he, the way that he will absorb a book is to have it read to him. So he's become addicted to um, audio books. And it's, it's very interesting to me because he, he seems to receive his information orally. Um, and so, and yet he, he's very much geared to the idea of, of, um, of enjoying a story. He loves a story but he loves to hear, have it actually read to him. So he now, as of, like all children, he has a phone. He will have an, um, I think it's called Audible, on the, you know, where he will get a book. So his idea of a book is to, is to have it read to him, and I, which I think is absolutely, you know, that's, it's great that he it's likes books. It's still a story, you know? obviously. Yeah, and, yeah. and to me it doesn't make any difference if, he, if he's better yeah. able to absorb it through the ear than through the eye. Um, so that's just a general point about adapting fiction. Um, as to having um, the, the novels developed into TV, it's been a really interesting experience. That they're so boiled down, obviously. They're not only boiled down, but they're changed 
completely because, as, you know, as we were sort of discussing, there's the demand of of commercial television. So they've they've made it, you know, um, a lot more thrillerish. They've, you know, there's a, there's a there's a lot more violence. It's a lot more, you know, it's kind of sexed up to the nth degree. <laughs> Um, but it, yeah, it has been a really interesting experience. The other experience I've had is converting my, which I did myself, um, my short stories into radio, um, which is a different, and I did that myself. Whereas with the TV, I opted not to, I opted for a consulting role, not a writing role. Because I think that would be another interesting thing that we could uh, move the discussion along to, right. which is the role and the relationship of the, the writer to the producer of whatever format it is moving into. So, um, Martin, I think um, when we first spoke on the phone, you mentioned that, you know, you still think in many ways you, uh, as a writer in the first instance, so you're oh, very yeah. conscious of how that relationship unfolds. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I always feel, and, and it's also, I think, why I enjoy the role I do in, in, in the company is because I work directly with the writers. And um, just hearing what you're saying just now, I was... I'd, a, I'd we can maybe talk about rights and process later, but I'd optioned a book um, to turn to a drama. It was a book about Joan of Arc I've always wanted to. And it was um, Fremantle were paying for the development and uh, it was called a first look deal that they put together. Um, and I'd optioned this book um, called The Maid. It was by a Canadian writer. And I hired um, Craig Pierce to write. So he wrote um, The Great Gatsby. He did the screenplay of The Great Gatsby and... Um, and a lot of old Baz Luhrmann stuff, and he's he's a wonderful screenwriter. But we were working on the the Joan of Arc series, um, the development, writing a first script, and the development of the Bible, while he was doing the Great Gatsby. And so I got a real insight into what he was like. And he said something that I thought was really really interesting, and I believe is true because I, I see it in children's books as well. Is that they for television and in for children's pictures books, the words say what you can't see. You're not describing what you can see. The pictures do that. Television and film is the same. And because you've got so much that is visual, it's very difficult when, when the book itself is so much about the internal world. You've got to find a way to externalize the internal. And, and that is, I think, one of the key uh, challenges of adapt adaptation. Rhonda, you're, when you are working with authors, you're actually sometimes encouraging those uh, people to actually write their own stories. You were telling me earlier today about some of the uh, sessions that you run with um, students. So, yes. Yeah. Um so uh, we have a program where uh, we go into schools and institutions, um, organisations and, and even corporates where uh, we facilitate writing of stories and their, their children's stories. Um, and um, then we turn those into an inter interactive app right, um, after that. So um, the adaptate, I think from, for us, you know, the, the people who come into the program know that they're going to end up in technical, you know, in a technical form. However, it's very organic, uh, the writing of, of, the, uh, of the books. So there's no computers or anything in the room. It's, everything's done by hands, um, like illustrations, etc. Um, and that's on purpose, and that's to 
give the experience of writing a, um, writing a book and illustrating and, and all the visuals, all of those sorts of things, you know, um, and then celebrating what technology can do with that, how it can build on that. Um, and we've even taken it to another level and we've filmed uh, the book being read in sign language. So we actually have uh, trilingual books as well. Um, so we, yeah, we take it that, that step further. And Charlotte, you mentioned that you have, you made a conscious choice to not to write but to consult uh, in terms of the work that's happening at the moment. What has that relationship been like in terms of how much control you've needed to relinquish, what you felt you really needed to fight for potentially? Um, yeah, well, so that was the, yeah, so the TV now, I decided to, I, you know, I was asked did I want to contribute to, to actually writing the screenplays and I decided no because it's not my ex area of expertise and I was in the middle of writing some, you know, fiction. And, you know, and, and then I, I thought about it because I thought maybe I should have said yes. But I'm, I'm glad that I didn't. But what I ha uh, had um, is written into the contract um, a, you know, a consultation right. So what that means is that... Um, they were obliged to consult me, so give me each of the um, versions of the screenplay, because it went through many, many different versions, um, and to ask me what I thought, and then, they, and then to pay me for the consultation. Which, you know, for writers, that's important, you know, because we, we don't earn very much, so um, that's, a, that's a good thing to get. If you can achieve that, um, it's really good to get that if you don't want to actually write the screenplay. So then, so then I receive, would receive the screenplay and, 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 you know, just following on from what you were saying about the fact that when you're converting it into, into television, so much um, is boiled down or is condensed because of the visual element. So it's completely different from ad adapting stuff to radio. Um, so... Uh, what, and because of that, what I found I was directing all my attention to was dialogue, because it's a TV drama. Mm. And so it was, it was a lot of clunky dialogue that I was, you know, going through and, and, and having a problem with, you know, and conveying this, and there was endless toing and froing. And, yeah, so, but it, that's a really worthwhile thing to have got, was this consultation right in the, in the contract, Yeah. Perhaps that's um, a useful, useful segue to talk a little bit about rights, because I'm sure that a number of our people who are listening today will be interested in how that has played out in your individual experiences of how that works. So, Martin, do you want to pick that one up in the first instance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, with a couple of different sort of hats on, in the, in the dramas, in the sort of... Um, uh, I wouldn't say adult, because that sounds like it's porn, doesn't it? But, you know, in the, I think the Americans call it primetime drama space. In the primetime drama space, um, the, the, we're tending to use um, a sort of international standard process, in a way. Um, and that's because we're working with um, distributors and, uh, in many cases, studios that are in actually doing the investing you know, during the development process and so forth. And so we've kind of borrowed the, the Hollywood model by default, which seems to be very robust, and, and, and all the pieces seem to be there for a very good reason. 
And perhaps that's, that's the important bit, is to explain the rationale for each of these bits. But usually, the first stage is you take what's called an option to shop. So if your publisher comes and says, hey, somebody wants to turn your book into a movie or whatever, it's um, probably what they mean in the first stage is, is an option to shop because the process of adaptation, the process of trying to get a project off the ground for the producers is actually having to go out to the market and raise X numbers of millions of dollars. So to do that, you need a package, and the package is that you have the rights to do this, that you have an option to do this. And usually that option then defines the terms that will happen later on if you uh, succeed in, in moving forward so that you don't get um, uh, into a disturbing situation where you get to show up and you've still got to negotiate the ongoing rights for, for the book after you've, you know, you've done all that heavy lifting. So usually the option starts to define some of those other things down the, uh, down the track. And then the option can be, say, six months or a year. And your job on behalf of the writer and on behalf of the, the, the publisher is to, to try to put together the process of adaptation that is in the best interests of the project itself. Um, and so, as you were saying, one of the things you try to do, or I certainly try to do, is make sure the writer is an integral part, part of the process, um, whether they're choosing to actually be in the writer's room and helping to um, define what the journey of the adaptation looks like, or whether they just simply want uh, approvals, or whether they, they, there's any number of different things. But you try to sort that out right on day one, because that's only fair and appropriate to everybody. The last thing you want to do is go through an adaptation process and then have a please explain to do to the writers and the publishers later on. So it's usually stepped through like that. In, in Very different in the children's space, and I might talk a little bit more about that separately afterwards. Uh, and Rhonda, you clearly have um, some original text, but also you are dealing with for instance, the Harry McLeary's existing text. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Martin's mm. um, explained that quite well. I mean, my, in my world, I deal more with cultural rights than, um, than the other. And I think that that's something that really needs to be um, taken very, very seriously. I mean, at the moment, uh, well, back in the day, I, I produced a, uh, an executive produced a series with South Pacific Pictures, um, Mataku. So it was spooky Māori stories. Um, but there was an awful lot of cultural um, appropriation and some would even say misappropriation and that, you know, that corridor can go on forever and once it's made and it's out there and it's out on the net then um, you better be able to put your hand up and stand by it. <coughs> I'm doing a uh, little bit of project at the moment with um, Oranga Tamariki and we're, we're um, weaving in Pūrāko and uh, you know, stories of our deities into contemporary stories. Um, and so we have to be very careful about that, that, that cultural licence and uh, appropriation that we're taking. Uh, from my perspective, I kind of figure I'm, I'm a senior. I know, you know, who I am, where I stand. I know my te waiwai, I know my, my people and my, my culture um, and my tribe, most importantly. Um, so the buck stops with me. Um, and at the end of the day, that's my licence. <laughs> That's all I've got. <laughs> that, 
uh, the issue of cultural rights is fascinating, though. So, yes. Because well, there is no kind of uh, court of law to refer to in that instance. Well, not on this planet, no. but certainly up there. Up there. there yeah. um, but, and and my, the work that I do in the Middle East as well... Um, you know, I'm working with, um, like, I live in the Emirates, and so there's, like, seven Emirates there, and, um, and they're tribes, they're, they're Bedouin tribes. Um, and as we, you know, move out into Kuwait and Bahrain and, uh, and Saudi, you're coming against, uh, up against the same thing, right? Um, I'm less nervous about that because I get it. So, yeah, never ends. So, Charlotte, apart from having the contract uh, written, having the consulting role written into your contract. What have you learned about rights from the process that you have been through? What else would you, could you share? Uh, what have I learned? Uh, well, it's, it's complicated. I mean, I've learned that the process is complicated because, as, as, again, as you were saying, the, um, the funding process is really complicated. So you, ha you get the option and then um, the producer, in this case, my case, Robin Scholes, has to go out and raise the money, and that involves um, wherever she um, seeks the money. Um, so it can be, um, you know, New Zealand bodies like um, Creative New Zealand, New Zealand on Air, or or wherever. Um, and that process is really long and really slow. Um, and so you get, you know, they they there was an enormously long process with submitting episodes to various. Um, local funding bodies as well as private funders because it's millions and millions of dollars um, and and then submitting them and, and getting to another another step in the process and another step and another step and um, it took a really long time and the other thing is that it's also complicated and um, I mean just to give one example of complication for me is that my books have recurring characters and so I was actually really lucky that I had an agent who dealt with this for me because I didn't know how to deal with it at all. Um, you know, that they had to negotiate whether uh, the use or further use of these recurring characters. So, um, and that was, that, that was really sort of specialised stuff that I couldn't have done by myself. Um, so, uh, so both the... the the process of getting the thing funded and getting it to, to production is really long and complicated, and also the individual rights aspects are, uh, can be complicated. Um, so it, it, it's certainly helped me to have an agent to do it for me because, um, I, you know, I, some of these things I didn't... You know, they, they thought of them, of course, because they do them all the time, but it, that hadn't even actually occurred to me. So, yeah, so it's complicated. <laughs> One other thing, I'm very conscious, having worked in television for some many years now, that it is a very collaborative business, whereas writing is not necessarily a collaborative business. I think Ian McEwen said that a screenplay is like a recipe and it's not the meal, so it's kind of it's a, something that is in process. I wonder if anybody would like to speak to that. The issue between writing as a solitary act and then putting it out in the world where many people have... Fingers in the pie. I, I, that's very pertinent to me at the moment because one of the, it's a bit like running the company now. I feel a bit like a the school principal where what I love to do is teach and I don't get enough time to do my own writing. I, I write scripts for my TV shows and I, I read all the scripts and I do script editing and I'm working with the writers. But 
but that wonderful personal private space where you're, you're living in your world is utterly different. And, and so the, the, the process of making a television or a film or what have you is absolutely about putting an amazing team together. It's about collaboration of the, of the, best, the best team you can put together. And it's also trying to create an environment where where that can work without some extraordinary pressures pulling it apart, um, which happen all the time when you're playing with other people's money. Um, even worse, when you're playing with the money of people you, you actually know and you've persuaded them to, to put their money in. And um, so you're, you're often torn between um, fast-tracking a process because you have to but in the end of the day, I've never seen that work. I've never ever seen that work because, you know, you might you might get a quick run on the board, but but things that are truly of value really do take time and effort, and you've got to encourage the whole team to stay with you on the journey. And it's it's utterly about collaboration and trust. Whereas as a writer, your collaboration of trust is an internal one, and you have to learn who to trust, when to share, when to get feedback, what to believe about that feedback, and, and what to um, choose to ignore about that feedback, etc., etc. So there is collaboration, but it's utterly in your own time frame. The idea for you, Charlotte, of um, uh, not being the god of your world, that world that you have built over those two novels, that relinquishing control, yeah, well, that's right. I had to um, be very... Um, one, I mean, once I decided not to um, write the screenplay myself, I then had to be very kind of, um, you know, calm about what they were doing to my staff. Um, and, then I did, you know, we did have some meetings where I met with the writers and, and you know, there, I, I was privately, you know, there was just consternation in my mind about what they were doing. But on the other hand, because I had decided that this was, they could, you know, within their, the framework, they could do with it what they wanted to do, um, I was sort of, you know, while scandalised by some of the things that they were doing, I was also sort of quite um, reasonably relaxed about letting them do it. Because I'd, I'd, I'd sort of, let, you know, I'd decided that that was what I was going to do. And so I, I just made sure that I, that it was very clear that um, while I would contribute as much as I could to, to um, try and, you know, have, have my say about, the, for example, the clunky dialogue that I could pick out and things like that, that, that it was, they were using my material but it was essentially their project. And when I said that to myself, it then became sort of psychologically fine. I just thought, well, let's just see what they do with it. Um, and they had the whole um, issue of um, new, the, the New Zealand environment, which is that TV1 is, they want to make commercial television. And so they, um, they were really saying to me that they were going to have to make the project a lot more commercial than I would have chosen. You know, I would have tried to make it much more subtle. Um, but having said that, I mean, I have seen episode one and found it really entertaining, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess one of the other interesting things to talk about is the fact that um, the audience changes from the original work to whatever format it is adapted into. That might be something that you could talk to, Rhonda, given the 
very inclusive nature of the audiences that you are yeah. reaching. I mean, I, I, all of my work I look at from an international perspective and, you know, who the commercial market is out there. And for me, it's in languages. So um, when you think, most people look um, at, like, the top three languages, well, it's, uh, Chinese, Spanish, English, um, and where are we? We're about two, million, two billion native speakers. But the other seven, there's over one billion. And that's a market. So looking at your work, I think, in terms of adaptation as far as um, it being able to be localised uh, from a languaging perspective, and even, you know, maybe even thinking about some other cultural things that can be included within your adaptation that will make it travel. I mean, it's, kind of, it's commercial kind of creative um, discussion, you know, with your, your producers and that. But, um, yeah, I look to the rest of the world. I look to the other seven languages. Thank you all very much. That has been enormously informative and entertaining. And um, thank you. Thank you. New Zealand Society of Authors, Tipune Kaituhi o Aotearoa, Pen and Z Incorporated, is the principal organisation representing writers in New Zealand. We want to continue to provide opportunities for you to grow in your professional development. That's why we started NZSA Web Workshops. Visit our website authors.org.nz to find out about these opportunities. Experienced writers and teachers will lead them and we hope that they help you to grow as a writer and face whatever tomorrow brings. Our website again is authors.org.nz.